Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. Jada G cares. Whether she's urging people to pay attention to climate change, educating new dance music fans on the genre's rich history, or just helping people to have a good time, the environmental scientist turned DJ and producer is always intentional. After self-releasing EPs from Under a Rock, as she described it to the faders Ariel Lana Lajard for years, Jada G's career surged with her iconic 2017 Deck Mantle Festival Boiler Room set, propelling her into becoming one of her generation's most celebrated DJs. Since then, she secured a BBC Radio One residency, launched JMG Talks, her platform for young scientists to share their research, and landed a Grammy nomination for her 2021 single, Both of Us. The public persona of Jada G and the person her friends know her as, Jada Guy, come together on her new album. Out on June 9, Guy pays homage to her dad, William Richard Guy, as well as the African-American experience and the perseverance of black women. While longtime fans have gotten to know Jada G over the years, she's finally showing us a bit of who Jada Guy really is. In conversation with Ariel earlier this week, Jada G discussed the difference between observing crowds and observing animals, tips on curating the perfect DJ set, and how learning about her family has taught her about herself. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I can't believe, yeah, the album's going to be out this week, and it's a trip, so... <laughs> Three days. Are you in London right now? Yes, yes, I am. How have you liked living there? I love it here. I really feel at home here. Like it's the perfect kind of in between in terms of still being on the side of the world in terms of like touring and stuff, which just like makes my life a lot easier and still feeling like, I don't know, it's just little European, but still English, you know, it's like, (laughs) it works well for me. And musically, it definitely works well for me. I definitely feel at home musically here. I remember reading that you didn't like Berlin too much. (laughs) Is that still true? There was definitely elements that I didn't like about Berlin. But at the same time, I wouldn't be where I am now without Berlin. It really gave me a foundation for my whole career, really. It allowed me to kind of grow and like, you know, my career in terms of a DJ and a music producer. Um, And then, yeah. And also Berlin just really, they always come out. Like I'm always so happy. Like I was playing in Panorama Bar. This was like, I think in March. And there's just so many fans there. And it was just really heartwarming to see like, you know, the fans are like coming out in Berlin and just like some of them like, I even remembered from like years ago. It's just, it was really cool. Uh, Yeah, that was a very special set, like playing at Panorama Bar. I hadn't played since after the pandemic, so. That's amazing. I'm wondering, like, you're spinning everywhere. What is the best club scene? Oh, gosh. So funny. Like, because what happens is as you're touring so much, I would have to be honest and say that's hard to tap into the actual scene of what's happening. You don't really get like a full sense of what's going on, especially like with the touring schedule I have and you really drop in and drop out. 
I fly in, I have some dinner, I go to the club, I play, and then I leave. (laughs) Like, I don't really stick around. I'm not like a big partier, which I know like probably doesn't like seem like normal for a DJ, (laughs) but I really not like, I just love music. That's like why I'm there, why I'm here. So yeah, it's hard to get a sense of of scenes. I think like the biggest thing you can get a sense of is really just the kind of way that a culture kind of responds to the type of music that I'm playing. And like the way people dance, for example, like how some places like they really like hoot and holler or some like may not be like as openly expressive, but the vibe of the room is really high where you're just like, yeah, it feels good in here. I feel like people are having a really good time. Like they just may not be like showing it in like a very overt way. So it's just, yeah, every culture has its own little things and stuff. So that's so interesting. Like with all the different cultures and being in different places, like what is it easy to get used to a crowd that, you know, you haven't normally, like, in terms of reading the room, does it become difficult at times? Or do you think it comes naturally to you? Oh, no, I I think it's something that all DJs definitely like kind of are trying to tap into like, okay, like, what's happening here? What am I like tapping into? What am I observing, really? And I think that's just the job of a DJ, essentially, you know, and I think for me, there is like a natural way of just engaging with the music. And that's just for me and myself. That's when you see me like dancing and singing along because I'm just, I'm personally just having a good time. (laughs) And it's also just how I get in touch with the music, you know. And then when it comes to reading the room and seeing how people are engaging with the music, there's definitely tough times. (laughs) Like there's moments where you're like, nothing's working. Like, I I don't know what to play. I've gone this way. I've gone that way. I've gone up. I've gone down. And, like, nothing's landing. And that sometimes just, like, has to do – like, because there's so many elements to making a good party. Like, obviously, like, there's the place. But then there's, like, in terms of, like, the city you're in or the country you're in. But there's also, like, the venue, the way the venue's laid out, what time you're playing, what year – like, time in the year it is. Like, is it winter? Is it summer? You know, how long of a set you're playing? Like, I could go on and on. And sometimes those things all line up, like, perfectly. And it feels like magic. And I think that's what all DJs are striving for, like that moment where everything is just like cohesive and everyone isn't experiencing the same thing at the same time. And it's just like really powerful. It's like true connection in a lot of ways. What do you think is harder, observing the crowd or observing like animals in nature? (laughs) I don't think I've been ever asked that question. That's really good. That's a win for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. What is harder? Oh, man. I got to think about that one. You know what? I think I would have to say people are harder. (laughs) We're so complicated. We really are. Animals are too. But at least like when you're observing animals, it's just like 
you have to be deep in nature or actually, no, sometimes if you're like, let's say you're observing city animals, but like there is a quietness to it all. Even if you're just like watching a pigeon or something, like there's definitely a calmness to it all where being in a club is definitely anything but calm. (laughs) But it's also very exhilarating and a different type of like energetic feel. They're also just like, completely different observing animals and humans but actually in a lot of ways they're really similar so <laughs> actually yeah I, I definitely want to get into your album but before we did because I just started DJing oh right on I wanted to know your tips on a beginner DJ curating the perfect set oh gosh it's so hard like begin no like it really is that you just have to like what's the saying? Like, like cut your teeth or whatever it is. Like you just have to get a lot of sets under your belt. And I think at the beginning, it's just, I think the best ethos, at least for me, was just playing things that I like. Honestly, it's as simple as that. (laughs) Because I don't know, like you see so many DJs like playing tracks that are like, this is the cool new track or like whatever and or this will really get people going but i don't know if that necessarily is the same as what people are feeling or are the same as what you're feeling and that's something like i don't know i have to make myself happy first cuz i feel like i don't know if i'm not happy then i know like people aren't happy <laughs> like it's definitely um yeah i would say that is like the most important thing to like when you're beginning and just like keep djing you have to practice you need your like whatever 10,000 hours or whatever it is you know like <laughs> speaking of like you not being a partier i remember reading your 2019 mix mag cover see and learning that you didn't know what deck mantle was at the time <laughs> yeah yeah no i didn't at the time but like that I don't know. Everyone who's close to me is just like, of course she doesn't. She's like, doesn't know what any, like, she never knows what's going on. (laughs) Oh, so even till this day. Like, I know Deck Mantle now, obviously, because I played it. But like, in terms of just like, what is like, cool, or like, what are like the hot festivals? Like, I don't know. I just like, stick to myself a little bit. I don't know. It's just, yeah, I, oh, I, 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 live under a rock that's what I always say I just like live under a rock (laughs) do you feel like that helps you like navigate the music industry like a little more clearly if you're not like bombarded yeah no it really does part of it is because I'm just kind of some like clueless in some ways and then I just you know stick to my music and then the other part is like part protection like on my Instagram I follow people that I love you know in general too, like I, I just try and keep to myself. Yeah. It just seems to help me stay grounded. How do you stay grounded while getting a Grammy nomination and remixing people like Dua Lipa and Taylor Swift? I'm like, just like everyone else, I'm losing my shit like all the time. <laughs> like I was what, like super shocked that I got nominated. I was like, what? No, I didn't believe it at first. My manager called me and I was like, nah, nah, you're lying. And he's like, no, like actually. And I just proceeded to scream for like two hours, jumping up and down <laughs> in terms of like getting, oh my gosh, like getting Dua Lipa and like Taylor Swift to like 
come at you asking for a remix. Like, I was so nervous. I'm like everyone else. (laughs) I'm just like, you know, just kind of bumbling through and trying my best and super nervous about it all. And knowing that I think like, obviously, in the career aspect of things, these things matter. But in terms of like, my day to day and the type of person I am and my interactions with my the people who are closest to me, it doesn't. Does that make sense? It doesn't change who you are. Exactly. It's that sounds corny, but it's it's true. <laughs> Do you ever feel like with doing stuff that is so big to people who love music, like the remixes and getting nominated, that you kind of have this weight on your shoulders, maybe especially since dance music is going back into the mainstream, that you feel like you have to educate people when you do something like, okay, I'm associated now with Dua and Taylor. Like similarly in the way that you have JMG talks and you want to bring science to more people who might not understand what people are talking about, like the environmental stuff. Definitely. Like in terms of all that, I just really, I think even before like the Grammy nomination and, you know, the high profile mixes, I just love nature. Like those are my two loves. I love music and nature. Those are the things that light me up. And I think every artist has like one thing that really lights them up, like whether they advocate for it or not. Like, you know, some some people it's like r- women's rights, some people it's mental health, you know, it's it, there's always something that you really care about deeply. And I think when you are a public person, I wouldn't say it's necessarily pressure, but I think it just should come from a natural place of talking about things that help the world in a bigger way, because you do have a public platform, even if it's just like a few people. I think it's good to talk about these things to the people that are looking to you. I love talking about science. I love talking about nature. And I didn't want to let go of it. You know what I mean? Like I, I had this whole career in it and I just didn't want to lose that because I know also it's a big part of who I am. So yeah, here I am, you know, talking about science and nerdy stuff as well. <laughs> I've been counting down my days Time is getting short, I'm down on paper Hear it coming like a wave Feel the tears roll down the second nature When I turn to you, don't And I'm locked in the cold Yeah, I need to go on Yeah, I need to go on When there's nothing inside And they want you to cry Yeah, I need to go on Well, I know even just including the environment and your passion for it in your work has been something like that's important to you. With this album, Guy, you're using your dad's recordings. Um, I know in the past you've used like marine sounds. So it seems only natural that it would like go towards this. How did you go about choosing which clips to include in the album? So my father, obviously, like... um the whole premise of this album is he passed away when I was 10 years old and he was sick for a long time. Basically, because he knew he was going to pass, he recorded himself talking about his life for like 11 hours. And those 11 hours of videotape, like we all have access to, which is amazing. And this is like the good part about being like the youngest sibling. Um, my brother actually made a 
documentary a few years ago that kind of looks at his relationship with my dad and just, you know, his passing and really about my brother's life as well. In making that film, lucky me, all the uh, videotapes were transcribed and digitized. And then my sister, who is an amazing TV producer, um, she was the showrunner and executive producer for 1619. She like categorized all the transcriptions into like various themes and storylines. So I had like a lovely foundation (laughs) to jump off of. Shout out to my siblings, Saul Guy and Shoshana Guy. So that really helped me kind of just start somewhere. Um, were really like the themes that my sister put together. And then after that, like I would read like the transcriptions and also I would read um, my dad's journals a lot and I would type them out because they were all just scanned in his handwriting and he had very loopy handwriting. So it was very hard to read half the time. And I'm just like a scientist. So the way I tackled all of this was just very much the same way I would do any research. I was taking notes. I was making like links to things like notes in terms of like how, what I thought about these things, ideas, kind of me relating to all of what I was reading. And then I would bring that to the studio. I would bring all my notes. I would bring all my ideas and sit there with um, a few amazing songwriters and write lyrics to all of that. And like the cool thing around this album is just that it's literally like some of the words I'm singing are literally direct quotes that my father was saying. And then that's how I figured out what the samples would be in the album. So like every sample or interlude that's used is something that directly relates to the song essentially, or it's like the basis of the song. Do you have any like favorite memories with him? There's so many. One of my favorites, oh my gosh, this is like really small town stuff. So like, you know, when you live in the middle of nowhere, there's like no garbage truck run or anything. You got to like take all your garbage to the dump. And so (laughs) we would, oh gosh, we would do a dump run and we would go in the pickup truck and it would have like all the garbage in the back and we would drive to the dump, but like me and my dad, he would like put in a tape in the cassette player and we would sing. We would sing and sing all the way. And it was just like some of my happiest memories. It's just like sitting in the truck with him singing to like Prince. We had a lot of like R&B stuff because like my brother was working in hip hop at the time and we would get like so many like promo CDs and stuff. And so there was, yeah, a lot of R&B, a lot of soul, a lot of, a lot of Prince. Our family is a big, very big Prince fan. So yeah. <laughs> you said before, like you were learning a lot about your father while like digging into the archives of those recordings and it gave you a better understanding of him. And I feel like this record will do the same for us about you. Also, like Guy, just learning about you and your family is as much an ode to you as it is to him and your other relatives. 
Is there anything you learned about your dad that gave you a better understanding of yourself? Oh, yeah, so much. The biggest take home was just honestly, like just how grateful I am because he really made like the type of decisions that he made. I am a product of that. Like I think the biggest one is that like my my father grew up in Kansas City, but he also would go to Waterloo, Iowa a lot. He had family there. And so he spent a lot of time. And those were like a lot of precious childhood memories for him. And he says in the tapes that he, in some ways, he was always looking for Waterloo. And he found it in Grand Forks, British Columbia, Canada, where I'm from. <laughs> and so I'm so lucky that he kept searching for that, you know, because I just like have such a big love for my hometown. It was such a great place to grow up. It was a safe place to grow up. Even though I was like the only black kid in town, you know, I I, I still had like amazing experiences being there, even though of course like it's hard, but I really have a love in terms of growing up in that place. And just like the nature is just such a big thing in my heart. I really get homesick actually. Like even though I live in London and I love it here, like I get homesick for Grand Forks and I have to go back like at least like twice a year. <laughs> Is there still family there? Yeah, my mom still lives there. And like I have a whole hardcore crew of friends from high school and I see them every time I go. Like it's just like, yeah, I'm really still quite close to that place and the people there. Yeah, it's just they're a huge part of who I am. And again, like what keeps me grounded. I imagine that that's the time when you see nature because when you're touring, you're going to big cities. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I try a little bit. Like I've definitely had some like if I'm on longer tours. I remember like I was doing um an Australian and New Zealand tour. And lucky for me, like I knew the promoters from New Zealand quite well. They've been booking me for years. And I know that they're into nature as well and they really like hiking. And so like before I was just like, hey, for the tour, do you guys want to do like a couple days of hiking? <laughs> And they're like, yeah. And they're like, I think you're the only DJ that's ever asked us to like take them hiking. <laughs> yeah, I bet it's tired because it's tiring, right? Yeah, it's well, it's more just like it's hard to get to. Like, it's not necessarily like you said, like usually you're playing in cities and it's harder to kind of get to nature. And also like if you're going in and out a lot, it's hard to spend time actually being out in nature. And, you know, with those longer tours, I'm usually sticking around. And so that time I was able to like stay and like hike for a few days, which was like super fun. It was like, yeah, the guys there, like, they're just awesome. They always take really good care of me and they're great. <laughs> yeah. Friendly potential. Uh, shout out to that crew. <laughs> so you've said that guy is a representation of you as Jada guy rather than just the Jada G persona. Can you tell us more about who Jada Guy is? Yeah, she's a real big nerd and like lives under a rock. And I think she's coming out more and more. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think like the persona that I've created as like Jada G is very much like just very extroverted, always like smiling, bubbly, dancing, bright colors. Like, you know, that's at least the persona that's been created on Instagram, which, you know, is been awesome. And, and I love where that's gone. And 
I'm quite proud of it because it's it's takes taken a lot of time and effort. But when it comes to Jay Guy, like I don't know, I'm just a really big nerd. I'm a huge introvert. I know nobody believes me. I'm like, what is was it called? Like, I'm really good at pretending to be an extrovert, but I'm actually an introvert. Like, I need to recharge by being by myself. It's just you know giving a little bit more of myself to the music and to my fans and. I always just like have the ethos that like if you're being vulnerable, it really allows others to be vulnerable as well. And I just think the world would be a lot better if we all were a little bit more vulnerable. And it's hard, but it just like it lets people see who you really are and the humanity in people. And that allows people to connect. If you are vulnerable, it allows people to connect with you and vice versa. And that is what it is to be human. It's like literally that's the human experience is connection. You have called this persona of J to G one dimensional, but in like my observations of you and your music, you always make it a point to reference something, whether it's with this album, your dad and your family or in other albums, the environment, dance, music, history and traditions. Do you feel like ingraining parts of you and your music is intentional or just something you do subconsciously? Probably a little bit both. It's definitely intentional. Even if I didn't do it intentionally, I think it would still happen. (laughs) You know what I mean? I am who I am and I put myself in my music and I don't think I could not do that. So might as well make it a little bit more thoughtful and intentional along the way. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's all back to like vulnerability. And my last podcast interview was like with Overmano And I was speaking to them about why they believed that a lot of dance music fans are like kind of veering towards like this more personal and like emotional dance music, especially after the pandemic. And I'm wondering what your thoughts were. Oh, gosh, I think it always has been like that. We just kind of lost our way. I'm sorry, like, again, the history of house music, the history of dance music, you know, it's rooted in Black America. It's rooted in the LGBTQ community. It's literally, it's rooted in people who are oppressed, period. And house music always was about protest and allowing yourself to be who you actually are. And somewhere along the way, people forgot that (laughs) and thought it was just for white people. And that is not the case. That is really not the case. And I think, you know, like shout out to Beyonce again for like, you know, being a mainstream artist, bringing it back. You know what I mean? And she really, I like, oh, that, that album's so good. So many good references um, in that album. But it just really brings it back home in a lot of ways. You know, if you look at the early house tracks, like they were always like about freedom and joy, which is a protest unto itself when you're a black and brown person in America. So I don't know. I think it's more just like people are just waking up, especially after the, B- the, after the BLM movement, you know. They're like, oh, wait, like there can be realness and emotion and depth into electronic music and house music. And you're just like, yeah, it always was just, you know, I I don't know. I could go on and on, but you get the gist. (laughs) No, I feel like that's what makes your new album like so powerful because it is about not just the like African-American experience 
but like also the perseverance of black women and just, and how it like ties in together with your life. And I feel like that's what makes it come full circle and people definitely just need to hear it. I think like that's what makes art interesting when it's multi-layered, you know what I mean? And what better way to make something multi-layered by just talking about your life, you know, cause life is multi-layered. It's crazy and insane. And half the time it doesn't make any sense, but you know, you can look back and hopefully draw a few lines together. So yeah. <laughs> Aside from being like a music giver through DJing and producing, you're like also this music enjoyer. So what do you look for in music? Oh, it has to grab my heart in some way. The music that I really love to listen to just makes me feel alive. Whether it's in joy, whether it's in anger, whether it's in depth. And some of it's just like fun, uplifting. Yeah, I, I, in terms of actually like sonically, a good bass line always really helps. That's a big one for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I don't know, I could go on and on, but it's really, it's really about how it makes my heart feel. Is there anything you want to add about the album or you want people to know about you? The biggest things I just want people to take home from this album is just like, Obviously, like my dad, he was important to me because he was my dad and, you know, he was taken away from us way too soon. And I just wanted to share his story because I just think it's amazing. He was such a resilient person. He really went for things that he did not see around him. And I don't know, like that's a really hard thing to strive for things that you don't see around you day to day and want something better for yourself. And my father, he just really, life was hard for him. You know, he was a black man in the 50s, 60s. Like he would be 80 in a couple weeks if he was alive. And he really, like when bad things happen, like you do have a choice. You have a choice of how those things inform you and the kind of person you want to be. Even though like the things suck, like I'm not negating that. Like shit gets really fucking hard sometimes. But yeah, it really can allow you to grow and become a better person. That's one take home. And the second take home is just like grief. Grief doesn't have to be this thing that we don't talk about. And that means not just like someone dying. It's like grief in all facets, you know. And grief doesn't have to be a bad thing because it's just proof that you loved someone. And I, I don't know. For me, I would rather have loved someone than not. What goes round circles back around
That was Jada G talking to The Fader's Ariel Lana Lajard. Jada G's new album, Guy, drops this Friday, June 9, via Ninja Tune. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony Giambroni. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Helfand. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star rating and review. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.